I mean, I wanted to keep my my work life separate from my fun life, but <laughs> oh, well, your fun life, yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I said yay. <laughs> I don't have a follow up to that. That I, ugh. guys, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like I my just, second favorite Beatles song. You can, <laughs> you, wait, what is your favorite Beatles song? I know it's probably off of Rubber Soul. Uh, Michelle. Okay. Michelle's a good one. Yes. It sounds very French, very art art film student-ish vibes. <laughs> yes, all of those things. What well, my second favorite my second favorite song is called I'm So Tired. <laughs> and it's just the Beatles singing about how tired they are for like two minutes. That's why I named one of my boys Finn. So that anytime he watches a fancy film he would think that it was for him. <laughs> uh, speaking of getting to the end of things, uh it's the Superhuman Registration Podcast. I don't know do you ever, anybody's going to follow see, that. Do you ever see someone try to chop down a tree with a blunt axe? <laughs> that is the force at which Steven makes these segues to keep us on track. Just like... Yeah. <laughs> Better question, you ever see someone succeed at it? <laughs> yeah, I want to say, I, I feel like that was pretty good. Yeah, that was okay. Uh, fair, fair. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How proud of you are you of that? <laughs> You can- Frankly, I thought it was very sharp. I thought it was very keen-minded of me. <laughs> well, it's not very often you get to bark out orders like that. I, gotta, I hate to split this up, but we got a we got a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're branching off too much. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> we're trying to set roots. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm just gonna have to. Turn all of this audio down anyway. So. <laughs> one of us, one of us. <laughs> I'm Steven. We've got John and Aldo on the line. We are here to talk about trees. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, paper comics are made of trees. Yeah. The the real the real reason we have forests. So they can become comics. Every time you get a paper cut, that's nature taking its revenge. <laughs> oh, man. Like oh, and the lemon sure. gets in the paper cut. It's like a double team oh. from nature. <laughs> it's man. two trees just being like, screw you guy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, you're trying to get us on track? <laughs> trying to get us on track. So we're here to talk about uh, specifically uh, Ghost Racers, the Battle World tie-in. Uh, and the comic Shang-Chi from 2019. Uh, I'm Steven. We've got John and Aldo here. Uh, you guys ready to get into it? Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm just, I'm Let's just, do it. I'm, I'm just real happy we read Speed Racers because when I looked up Speed Racists, that was a much different comic book. Oof. Or Ghost Racers. Dang it, I messed it up. That's <laughs> like Good did you read, Good did you read about a family where there's like a little there's a monkey sidekick and it's old anime because no what oh, we man. actually read about was do not get um, me started on speed racer <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good here. we will be here all night 
Although there was a there was a Twitter thread going around just in the past couple of days that was like, okay, can we stop talking about Speed Racer without acknowledging the extreme Asian racism in it? Uh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it is. I thought that was totally fair. Uh, a shame, because again, I watched Speed Racer for the first time a couple months ago and thought it was pretty good. The but, film or I the mean, show? The film. Okay, the Wachowski siblings. From the Wachowskis, yeah. 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 And uh, apparently the Wachowskis have a bit of a tendency to uh, have a lot of uh, negative Asian stereotypes in their work, which is unfortunate. Do you think it's yeah. intentional? I don't think it's intentional. I think, it, like, The Matrix had, like, some homages, I think, to, like, kung fu movies, maybe? Maybe I'm wrong? I, I would like to think that it's uh, not, not actually racist. I think it's them kind of using, uh, like, shortcut language visuals and stuff like that anyways cloud atlas had yellow face in it i don't know oh cloud atlas is muddy for a lot of reasons i see i didn't know about that because i skipped cloud atlas because everyone said it was a piece of crap i didn't even get into the level of examining it for its racist tendencies i just heard bad movie skip it and i did (laughs) you can avoid a lot of racism that way (laughs) (laughs) um we're not gonna we don't really have much racism to avoid today. Let's talk about these comics. John, why don't you get us started with uh, uh, Ghost Racers? So excited <laughs> about this one. So excited about this one. Uh, this takes place in Battleworld, which was a lot of fun. We've read Thor's Battleworld. We read the main um, Secret Wars book as well. Have we done any other tie-ins besides those? Just those for, for now. Well, as you know, um, these this talks about you know famous racers... Um, and it, you know, is it's a little to adjacent to what's going on. I guess it doesn't really tie into the main plot, uh, but you know, you know the characters. You from the cover, you know what you're getting into. You got Dick Dastardly and his dog Muttley, and you have the Slag Brothers, Rock and Gravel. You got uh, Penelope Pitstop, of course. Don, Don, what? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I'm afraid you might have read the wrong book. Uh, that sounds like you read Wacky Racers. No, that's that's. Oh no! <laughs> let me let me flip to the next page. So, so anyway, so we're reading. Uh, well, you guys read a book. I just watched the Jason Statham movie. Ghost Racers. Death Death Race two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I figured it would be good enough. I'm sorry, Stephen. You're right. Okay, I flipped. I flipped the wrong page. Okay, so this one has Cuba Gooding Jr. and Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Rowan Atkinson, where he, you know, talks a little bit more than Mr. Bean. Wayne Knight in a bit part. John Cleese is the villain. Uh, I, I, hold on, hold on. I hate to interrupt you again. This sounds like uh, Rat Race? No, no. Wait, does Rat Race have John Lovitz and Kathy and Jimmy in it? Does Ghost Racers, sorry, does Ghost Racers have <laughs> John Lovitz, Seth Green? <laughs> Brent, Brennan, what's that dude's name? Who is in stuff and friends with Seth? Oh crap! 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 <laughs> oh man! All right, I don't know enough about the Great Race, um, or, or it's a mad, <laughs> mad world to keep this bit going. So anyway, Ghost Races. What um, about the Great, the Great Race Detective? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Call me Stretch Armstrong because that was that was a heck of a stretch. <laughs> this bit has gone way off track. Ghost racers. Ghost racers. <laughs> We're veering off. You're right. 
We're burning out. <laughs> Got a lot of road to cover. Got a long way to go and a short way to get there. Short time to get there. Dang it. I can't even do a Smokey and the Bandit pun. Ah, oh, you're killing me, Smalls. Oh. The story of ghost racers live fast, die hard, race forever. <laughs> is Felipe by Felipe Smith and art by Juan Gideon. Uh, color by Tamara Bonvillian. Um, Bonvillain? Is it just Bonvillain? Anyway. Oh, is it Bonvillain? Bonvillain. Not sure. Oh, well, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Monsieur oh, Bonvillain, it's... with your correct pronunciation. It's <laughs> <laughs> a turtle, Henry Avicville. <laughs> oh, Monsieur Caville, we have kept your booth waiting for you. <laughs> we have a little amuse-bouche for you. And all of the other French words that are delicious to say and to eat. <laughs> Poisson. Uh, escargot. Hey, hey, hey. Poisson. Everything has been monte au beurre for your flavor. Aha, uh-huh, royal wishes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> dang it. <laughs> That's what they call it, Stephen. Did you know? <laughs> anyway. The lettering was VCs, Corey Pettit. Production design, Manny Medeiros. Um, great covers by Francesco, uh, Francesco Francavilla. Um... Yeah, I, I, the, the story is pretty basic. While all of this stuff is going on in Battle World, we've brought our, um, Ghost Riders over to be part of a kind of like demolition derby kind of death race thing going on. In the Kilisseum, there's just no subtlety to this book at all. <laughs> Um, everything is all like you know doom themed. People come and they cheer on their favorite ghost uh, ghost racers, and Robbie Reyes is the uh, reigning champion. It's all run, of course, by Arcade, who pops up for these kind of things, and uh, it's uh, the spirits of ignition. So you have all your classic racers. Um, you have uh, Robbie Reyes, of course. You have uh, Johnny Blaze. You have um, Carter Satan Stomper Slade. You have um, that other dude, <laughs> Danny Ketch, uh, Daniel Ketch, sorry. Everyone has really dumb nicknames. Daniel, Danny Boy Ketch. The announcers at the beginning are obnoxious. Though, uh, you, you, you lose track of that because Carter Slade is a centaur with a Gatling gun on his hip. So, Carter right Slade there. Carter Slade is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. The worst, the worst nickname is Alejandra Nicaraguan Hellfire Jones. My favorite Jones after Indiana and Catherine Zeta. Um, anyway, so we have these racers are going on this race and they kind of fight slash kill each other as they go. Yeah, it's it's more like they just like maim each other or wreck each other's rides, and at the end of it they lose their. Um, um, ignition, their hellfire. What is how's it referred to here? It's like everything you know about Ghost Rider, just a little, like a little variation to it, right? So we see that it's not just Ghost Riders that they're like. We show Robbie Reyes beating Modoc on the track. That he fights Venom. He, he shoots past Sentinels. You know, he uh, does a hit and run on Sabretooth on his on his windshield there, um, and he's you know supporting his brother. So Robbie Reyes is pretty much the same as always. Just happens to be in Doom World. Well, if you lose the race, then you get tortured by Arcade's right-hand man, um, Zadkiel. So Zadkiel is like, you know, an almost omnipotent, big gladiator-looking dude. He's, he's kind of cool-looking, i got to be honest. Um, 
and if you lose, you get tortured as motivation to do better. Well, Arcade wants better ratings, so he's going to make sure that Robbie Reyes loses. Um, and uh, Robbie Reyes um, doesn't really want to turn against his other ghost racers who uh, Arcade kind of positions to um, beat him. And, you know, they want to take him down because he's not getting tortured as the winner. Um, and so... Uh, Robbie Reyes, is, because he doesn't have the same type of, he doesn't become the Ghost Rider the same way the other writers do. Um, it's you know he's possessed by his evil uncle, so the um, Zadkiel isn't able to control his power the same way. So um, his uncle is able to teleport him out of there, and he escapes. The writers come after him. He convinces the writers not to you know kill him and turn him in he escapes they uh are all the spirits of ignition are called back by zadkiel and then um they put uh robbie reyes's little brother gabriel reyes into the race so the last issue he's got to make sure gabriel stays ahead of everybody and stays safe because it's a death race he's you know he's this you know poor little helpless brother who's like straight up gonna die Though, to be fair, he does have a really cool, like, flame cycle thing. It's like this big wheel with a chair in the middle. So, he's he's got a head start. Um, there's a straight up a Tyrannosaurus on top of a um, fighter jet at one point. The last time I saw that, I'm pretty sure it was in Calvin and Hobbes. But, anyway. Oh, and it's... No, but he's... But, <laughs> but it's a T-Rex on a... What was that? Like a F-29 Raptor. Yeah. Ha. Huh. Dinosaur. There you go. <laughs> that dinosaurs. Entertain. Robbie is able to convince uh, as they're chasing his brother. Robbie's able to convince all the rest of the riders, the spirits of ignition, to join him and uh, turn against Arcade and uh, Zadkiel. Robbie Reyes is able to his like uncle is able to you know overtake him because it's you know you have no power over me, and he uh, you know destroys him, and then yeah Arcade like straight up gets blinded and murdered and trampled by everybody so so I'd love to see it. it's it's pretty rad i mean <laughs> like, like, I don't know. it's not really that like you know it's not really that nuanced of a story it's like there's a race his brother's in danger he saves the day he brings all the racers together and they and they fight the bad guy who's um you know using you know torturing them for profit and for um uh, for his own gains, so you know, arcades dealing uh, dealing on the side. He's uh, gambling, and uh, all, being his all around usual dirtbag self. So, um, not a bad story. What did you guys think? Eat the rich. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got. <laughs> oh goodness! So I meant to do this before we started recording. Uh, I wanted to look up Zadkiel. Me too, uh, and I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm doing it now. First of all, Zadkiel is uh, like an angel from, uh, I, I believe, the Jewish tradition. Um, well, probably, yeah. So I'm just going on Wikipedia. So the word Zadkiel is actually Hebrew. Um, in the comics, though, he was the leader of the spirits of vengeance in God's army and then he got mad because God was giving more favor to sinners than to angels. And so he decided, I'm going to 
overthrow God, and yeah, so he's kind of a bad bad dude. He was a middle. He he was a supervisor who decided I am the manager. He he's he's uh, <laughs> G Willikers from from last episode. Oh my gosh, he totally <laughs> is. Only way cooler. <laughs> that guy was a nub. I mean, the Marvel Comics character of Zadkiel was created by Jason Aaron, and Jason oh. Aaron does tend to do metal, right? So, <laughs> yeah, there was there was that general feel, like as as kind of like straightforward as the story was, without much like surprise to it, you know. It's pretty cool. Like, I really liked the coloring in it. Um, I thought that you know, the art could have been a bit neater, but. Not if they sacrificed any of the action, you know, because there's like there's cool action, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say, considering how much stuff is going on in this, yeah, uh, the action is surprisingly coherent, right? I was, I was going to yeah. add that on to- on top of like how hectic it is, how much of it is just like the same three colors, and they do a really good job at making sure everything is readable. Yep. Yeah, because there's a lot of fire. Yeah. A lot of fire. Right now, my comics poll list has uh, Superman Red and Blue, which is really awkward. Like, it's a bunch of little short Superman stories. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, but kind of the gimmick is that the only colors the artists are using are red and blue. Oh, it's like the and Batman black and white stuff. It, exactly. And I think there's going to be a, a Wonder Woman black and gold. Oh. Uh, this is a mistake. Because here's the thing, I actually really like, I really like Superman Red and Blue. The art is really hard to follow because Red and Blue aren't a very great palette. And so the artists are doing their darndest. I bring this up to, to go to Aldo's point where it's like, if you have, you're working with very few colors, it's, it's sometimes really hard to make that appealing. And I feel like uh, the color work here, obviously they're using more than two colors, um, but the, the coloring is really effective. It does seem like a relatively limited palette. There's a whole lot of yellows and oranges, right? Yeah. But it's still really readable and it gets across just this hectic energy, uh, of, of, you know, these demonic Mario Kart runners, right? <laughs> it's, it's really great. There's... In the, so in the the fourth issue here, and most of them are kind of like this. If you're in the Colosseum, which oh, that's ridiculous, <laughs> it's, it's exactly what you want. It's a lot of yeah, a lot of fire. So a lot of bright yellow and orange. The background is typically this like cool green blue, and then we get you know occasional little highlights where one of the riders has like electric blue, you know. So there's like a bit of, a bit of difference there, you know. There's a cool on page eleven in the app of the fourth issue. I forget what the which which writer this is. Uh, Venus compiler, that's right. Um, she's got this like there's this triangle kind of shape of energy where she's like whipping her weapon around, and you know the wreck of two riders behind her. You know, fire on one side, blue electricity in the other, and it's just such a cool panel. You know, with her right in the middle there, kind of framed by this. You know big swipe of her weapon that she's made. It's really cool. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, it is like hectic in a way that you can still follow it and still kind of get like, cause this, you know, you'd want to see something like this animated, but 
they they bring so much motion into it and so much action into it. Um, you know, the paneling I like. You know, it uh, breaks it up well with you know, focusing on like. You know, like when I'm looking at where Arcade gets killed, you know, we get like close ups of the faces and oh, his expression, and then it pulls out for like BAM! Stab his eyes out. It's pretty, it's pretty horrifying. Oh gosh. So it was fun. Getting to that section was kind of brutal because, like, up until that point, it was a very PG 13 sort of, like, light PG 13 mm-hmm. violence, mm-hmm. right? It's very cartoony, very. Like, the, the horrifying stuff was all implied off panel. Yeah, exactly. And then Arcade gets brutally murdered on panel. Yeah, I, I feel like if, if this was an animated film, it actually would come across a little bit more comedic. Not not the eye gouging part. I think that still would have been pretty like a pretty harsh tone change. Uh, but I think that whole bit of all of them running him over with like their fire vehicles, uh, in, in my head, I imagine that would have come out a little bit comical even. But um, as it is, not so. Yeah, I don't know that I agree because like I'm thinking of the way that it's depicted. It's you know a very wide shot. You see all of the the vehicles going over that. I, in my head, that doesn't come out funny, even animated. Um, just I, I again Twitter. That's my only contact with the outside <laughs> world anymore. Twitter. Um, <laughs> there. Oh, okay. I gotta find this because it was it was pretty good. Uh, so, like in a perfect world, uh, Marvel would have been releasing like animated films, kind of like DC has been of like that same caliber. Yeah, and they and they would have made like a like a Secret Wars like animated feature, but then like on the on they would have come out with like an accompanying anthology movie that would have like eight of the secret of the of the battle world stuff like animated for like 40 minute episodes yeah that would have been super rad and this would have been one of them yeah yeah Yeah. okay (laughs) found it thanks thanks for thanks for that uh so scott mcleod he of uh understanding comics fame uh retweeted a thread from Xander Cannon, a uh, cartoonist and and comics artist. I think I've heard of one of his books, but I haven't read any of them. Kaiju Max is one that he did. Uh, Scott McCloud calls this principle the car on a house principle. And Xander Cannon describes it in more detail as uh, the clarity of an image should be inverse or should be an inverse relation to the believability. So something that is very straightforward, you can uh, make it muddier. Like, we all know what a face looks like. So an image of a face can be really muddy. But if you have, like, a more dramatic, unbelievable image, you should just paint it or draw it very, very clearly and very straightforward. And this is why Scott McCloud calls it the car on the house principle. Um, If a tornado lifts a car and drops it upside down on the roof of a house and you want to take a photo... Just choose a straight-on, unremarkable angle, and that's enough, because the image is already going to be interesting. And so what we've got here with Ghost Racers is, you know, you've got a cowboy, like a demon cowboy centaur with a Gatling gun. You've got the demonic hot rod. You've got all of these flaming motorcycles, and and 
So you don't need it to be muddy. Just portraying the thing is kind of remarkable enough. But as a result, when you get to an image like, you know, everybody running over Arcade, it's very, very clear what's going on. He's getting run over by a bunch of flaming motorcycles. And just the explicit, it's not really explicit, but just the, the frank depiction of that violence kind of threw me for a loop. It's it's certainly a it, it is certainly like a tonal whiplash, because we do kind of go from like this. Go- I mean, like a few pages ago, we had a we had a flaming T Rex on an F ninety nine Raptor jet. So like, it sounds like Calvin and Hobbes. It really does. <laughs> so so like we had that. So so, yeah, that is that is kind of like a you know like like a pretty harsh total whiplash because you are going from like a, this really goofy premise of people on fire racing ridiculous vehicles to a dude just straight out getting ran over pretty frankly after he, getting his eyes stabbed out he, i mean he was the bad guy and he he really sucked in this like he was a real <laughs> I mean, if you make a group of ghost riders mad do you think they're going to give you a slap on the wrist no they're going to stab your eyes out and run over no, you they're gonna, their, i thought they're demon somebody cars. I thought somebody was going to give him the penance stare. That's what I thought was going to happen. Well, that's what... Not, uh, not fingers in the eyes That's stare. what the, That's what Zedkiel got, you know. Well, no, whatever Robbie no, Reyes' penance stare No, that was not a penance stare. Well, Robbie a, Reyes doesn't really have that, a penance stare, does he? He has soul like nom a nom nom. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't think of a better phrase. <laughs> do, we, do we actually know what Robbie Reyes' is? Uh, deal is like, yes. What makes him distinct from other ghost writers? Well, his he, he has a car. Yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> without without uh, reading from Wikipedia or anything. <laughs> no, no, this is entirely from memory. I talked to John earlier about this. Uh, he locked mm-hmm. it up in his head, so he didn't think he was gonna have to bring it out again. I'm just, so. I just have it in my mind palace. <laughs> uh, he does have, he does have a penance stare. Ah. Um, hand-to-hand combatant, superior conditioning, fury empowerment, immunity to fire, demonic transfusion, regeneration, immortality, penance stare, pyrokinesis. Mediumship, teleportation, portal creation, use of enchanted dodge charger, and hellfire chain. <laughs> For some so he has a car. Is basically what we're saying. <laughs> I thought. I thought his penance charger makes yeah. me laugh. Yeah. Do you think? Oh is, was there a deal? Do you think Dodge is getting any money out of that? I would hope so. Because that's that's got to be a trademark thing, right? Like they can't just call it a Dodge Charger. And be cool. I don't know. Yeah, it's not like, like you're maybe. calling it a hot rod, and it's like an it's like you know a generic kind of like this is a sports car. It's like yeah, no, this, no, is, this a is Dodge Charger. This is explicitly a real car that exists. Mm-hmm. Well, mostly minus the whole being on fire and soul of the <laughs> damn stuff. Yeah. Um, I thought it was only difference because different because really he gets his powers from being possessed. By his, his, you know, Eli Morrow, his um, serial killer Satanist who worked for the Russian mob as a hitman. Tale as old as time. I just, I just feel like if I was going to be possessed by anybody, I would prefer it to not, to not be family in any way, shape, or form. 
Oh, yeah, because they'd Seriously. come in and be like, kill everyone. Also, are you dating? What's going on with your career? <laughs> like, like... Call I your mother. Be, I, I think the, uh, oh, what's his name from DC? Uh, the kid who, who has this professor in his head. Firestorm? Oh yeah, Firestorm. This yeah, is a yeah, Marvel Firestorm. podcast. Like, like that's a much more I like a less awkward thing. I would rather be stuck with my college professor in my head than with like my uncle. That just I don't I don't want family in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have like my manager in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Or like the person who gave me McDonald's in the drive-thru today. Like, that guy, I would prefer to be stuck in my head with me than, than my twi- my third uncle twice removed, whatever. <laughs> was it a, Anyways. Was it a friendly person or just a stranger? It was just a stranger. Okay. They were not rude, so that might as well have been nice. That's cool. <laughs> what a weird tangent for this to go on. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it's it's actually kind of disappointing that Robbie Reyes is just possessed by like some guy, because you know Johnny Blaze is the spirit of vengeance, uh, Danny Ketch is the demon Zarathos or something like that, and uh, Robbie Reyes is some bad dude. He's bad though. Yeah, but he's got a car, and the trunk opens up to hell. I mean, the visual is really cool. Robbie Reyes has a great design. <laughs> yeah. His like, jacket's cool. no question cool. about that. Have we read, like, an actual, like, good Robbie Reyes book? Apart I, we have read this? a Robbie Reyes book. Yep. I, I, I think... <laughs> I think I keep coming back to it, hoping, like, hey, this will be, like, a modern take on Ghost Rider that, you know, is more understandable and relatable and less, like the weird ghost writer that we've read so far because it, i mean on paper it's like holy crap this guy is a skull head and his head's on fire and he drives a motorcycle this is so metal but every time we read it i'm like why are we well, this is dumb you know <laughs> i don't know spirits to be fair spirit spirits of vengeance wasn't bad i forget how where it where it's ranked on our list but um, that wasn't robbie reyes either that was no uh, oh rise of the midnight Blaise, right? Su- rise of the midnight suns Wait. that was danny Kett. Hold on, it was bad. <laughs> I'm looking. Yeah, that one was bad. That there was, one did not do well. There was something I liked about it, though. Maybe it was just like, oh, hey, there are other Ghost Riders. What do you know? Was it was it something <laughs> to do with like a like like a, like a junk food bullet or something? Maybe junk food bullet. Yeah, wasn't there like a donut bullet or something? <laughs> I we had an episode that. called We had an episode called Bullet Made of Doritos, but I can't remember the context. Oh, we did. Yeah, uh, just just it's like if you were to kill kill me with something I love, probably. No, I just need some sort of affirmation of not having a stroke about food paste the bullets. I mean, although dare you come to me for comfort? Are you? <laughs> That's Do how you low smell I toast? <laughs> no, but I would like some toast right about now, though. It does sound good. Toast I got good jam. Good. I got strawberry rhubarb jam, man. That's the business. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we've wandered a bit off track. What? I've just been We're waiting just for so you to. Like us. I've just been waiting for you to take the wheel and drive us on out of this uh, ghost racer story. <laughs> Sprightly, well, I'm going to do my wheel. best. What more, if anything, do we have to say about ghost racers? We haven't really talked about it much, but like John said, it's pretty straightforward story. 
I liked yeah, it good. more than I thought. I, I uh, was pleasantly surprised. Like, it's not the best, but it's certainly good and um, very cool. Like, you know, it's it's it doesn't need to be like you know, like oh, and there's a there's a interesting character moment here. It's nuts. It's ghost. It's ghost riders fighting each other. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I mentioned this when we picked the book, uh, but I had already read this. This is one of the the battle worlds I had picked up back when that was coming out. Uh, so like I already knew I was gonna like it. Uh, you know what? I did. So All there right. you go. That's what I have to say about that. Cool. I I thought it was fine. Like this isn't. It's not my favorite book. No. But sure. Like I didn't. And it, I'm honestly not sure it's one I really want to go back to either. But it's also not one that I hated my time with it. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I sat down and I, I I do like seeing Arcade show up. I think he's a fun villain. Uh-huh. Um, weird match with Ghost Rider, but in the context of Battle Worlds, why not, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, overall, thought it was pretty good. Um yeah, it's kind of just a, a middle-of-the-road book. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Uh, very, very safe, you know, right in the shoulder. Stay in your lane, Stephen. Stay <laughs> in your lane. <laughs> Pump those brakes, oh, son. We got, we got a podcast to roll on with. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is, that our, is that our cue? Is it yes. <laughs> yes. All right, so <laughs> let's let's talk about Shang Chi. So this Shang Chi miniseries picks up after the events of a previous series. Um, I actually think it was a Heroes for Hire story, where Shang Chi came face to face with his father, uh, the the villainous Zheng Zhu, and defeats him. It sounds like he killed him. Um, turns out that Zheng Zhu is the leader of the this like clan there are five different clans each dedicated to a uh, particular deadly weapon uh, which I thought was a nice throwback the original comic series that introduced Shang Chi was uh, the deadly hands of Kung Fu so Shang Chi is now the leader of the House of the Deadly Hand but there's also a House of the Deadly Staff a House of the Deadly Dagger a House of the Deadly Hammer and a House of the Deadly Saber. Um, the, the houses are all under one leader, and that has been Zheng Zhu. But once Zheng Zhu died, uh, leadership passed on to the House of the Deadly Saber. The leader of the House of the Deadly Saber dies, and leadership is now supposed to pass on to Shang Chi as the leader of the House of the Deadly Hands. Uh, Shang Chi's long-lost sister... Sister Hammer, the leader of the the House of the Deadly Hammers, does not believe that Shang-Chi is worthy of this, and so she uh, kind of takes it upon herself to bring him under her control. Uh, She manages to dupe Shang-Chi a little bit, who gets a little bit of warning from an old flame who works for MI6. Um, Shang-Chi kind of brushes her off and goes to meet with Sister Hammer. Uh, She drugs him. And tries to turn him into... I forget what they're called. They're those uh, Chinese hopping vampires. They're an enemy in the Castlevania games. They're, they're um, a playable character in the in, in the uh, Night Warriors games. Darkstalkers. 
Oh, there's a there's a yeah, she's in Marvel vs. Capcom. A uh, John Shi, well. John Shi. I'm afraid of vampires, so I don't know that. Yeah, no, but, but <laughs> yeah, no, they're called uh, they're called Jiangshi. I think. Yeah. No, that's not that's... with my with my yeah. Western American tongue. Big big disclaimer that none of us know how to uh, pronounce the anglicized Chinese. We're we're gonna do our best. Um, that but, was my best. Yeah, apologies in advance for all of that. Um. So anyway, Shang-Chi is able to make it out of there, but he gets basically infected with uh, Zhang-Chi goop. So he's turning into <laughs> one of these vampires, uh, which also puts him under the control of Sister Hammer. Uh, in, in trying to combat this and trying to find out a way to, to stop Sister Hammer, uh, Shang-Chi winds up having a vision. He's been getting these visions from who he thinks is his father, and it actually turns out to be his father's brother, and his father's brother reveals some some really fascinating secrets about his family history. I actually kind of want to talk about that in a bit more detail. Zheng Zhu, the uh, founder of this big secret society, um, his the story that he told was that he gained his power. Like he and his brother were were these righteous warriors that fought to defend China from all of these invaders. And Zheng Zhu became more powerful by killing his brother and stealing his brother's power. And and what the ghost of Zheng Zhu's brother reveals to Shang-Chi is that technically that's kind of true, but it was really the brother sacrificed himself in order to give Zheng Zhu the power that he needed to win the battle. And Zheng Zhu realized that Without his brother's steadying influence, he was likely to go down a very dark path. And ultimately, he did. Which I thought was just a really great twist on that whole thing. Anyway, um, with this kind of knowledge, and and then teaming up with uh, Sister Dagger and... Esme. Who's the brother? Esme and Takeshi. Mm-hmm. And, and Takeshi, yes. Takeshi is, uh, is he, he's Brother Saber, right? Yes. Yeah. So I messed, I messed up earlier. It wasn't Brother Saber who was the head of the house. It was Brother Staff. Yeah. 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 Because until you said Staff, I couldn't remember which of the five why I was forgetting. Because I was like, well, somebody died at the beginning, but I can't remember. It was Brother yeah. Staff. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, Sister Dagger, Brother Staff, and Brother Hands, Shang-Chi. They mm-hmm. confront uh, Sister Hammer. Uh, Shang-Chi is able to overcome his uh, hopping Chinese vampire virus uh <laughs> kind of by accepting it's it's sort of this very philosophical victory you know can you can you imagine resident evil with Jiangxi? <laughs> i'm genuinely surprised that hasn't happened yet actually so the anyway in in sort of this like psychic plane uh shang chi and sister hammer confront their father uh they kind of defeat the psychic manifestation of of their father uh, Sister Hammer gets all confused and runs away after the battle. So, you know, live to be an arch nemesis another day. Shang-Chi is now the leader of the whole clan. And uh, there's some some dark foreboding that he may still wind up going down his father's dark path. And that concludes the story. The creative team for this book, uh, really exciting team. Uh, we've got Jean Luen Yang, who's the writer, um, 
Dyke Ruin, who's the artist. I've never seen his art before. Uh, some art is provided by Philip Tan. We've got Sebastian Cheng doing the colors and Travis Lanham from Virtual Calligraphy doing the letters. Uh, guys, I dug this book. Yeah. A lot. This book was, was really good. good. Uh, Jin Yang is a favorite comics writer of mine. Uh, Same. I, I first came, yeah, I first came across, uh, he has a, a, like a young adult, almost a children's graphic novel called, uh, American Born Chinese. That is just stellar. It's incredibly clever, really well done. He, he, I believe, wrote and illustrated it, and his illustrations are very, very simple, but the storytelling was so clear and so sharp, and again, very, very clever. Just a couple years ago, he did Superman Smashes the Clan, where he very directly dealt with America's history of Asian racism, like anti-Asian racism. Um, he, I know he's done some Avatar books, comic, comics based on Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. He had a run on Superman. I've read some of that. That was pretty good. Um, he's a, he's stellar, and I thought he did some great work with Shang-Chi here. What did you guys think? I felt... I don't know. I think maybe I came into this because I was like, Shang-Chi, I don't know much about him. I'll read it. And I was like, okay, this is okay. I felt like I was getting, like, it was really familiar to me from the uh, Matt Fraction and Ed Brubaker um, Iron Fist story. Because there's yes. a tournament between, you know, clans that have a long history together. Um, so I was like, okay, okay, this is what we're doing here. All right. Um, so I, I wasn't really, like, you know, surprised by anything. Um, were all of the other, like, leaders of the clans, were they all half-siblings with Shang-Chi? That's the impression I got, yes. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was just they were just all using the title since they were all part of the same group. Um, it also was, it kind of bugged me that Shang-Chi, like, you know, kept saying, ah, oh, my father's cult, ah, oh, my father's cult, like kind of this air of disbelieving and it's like dude this th this is happening right here in front of you like you know dislike it all you want but it's a real thing you know um so like take it more seriously but also it didn't i don't know i don't i didn't feel like he was ever really in peril you know maybe that's just because of course he's not because it's a comic book and he's you know his name's on the cover um and you know <laughs> In Death of Superman, they still brought him back. So, like, I, you know, I don't know. It was okay, but didn't, like, blow my hair back or anything. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with the the Iron Fist vibes. This very much had the feel of uh, the, the Fraction, Brubaker, AHA, Iron Fist run, where they revealed that this goofy kind of one-off character... Um, actually has this very rich backstory. Um, I think it's a little bit uh, complicated by the fact that uh, Shang-Chi apparently actually did have some of this backstory and we're just kind of coming to it. So I don't think this is uh, Jin Yang inventing this this whole thing from whole cloth. No, no. I really liked it, though. <laughs> um, I, I like that it gave kind of Shang-Chi like his own universe, his own kind of like stakes and things like that. Cause I was just like, well, he's, he, he knows Kung Fu. Like 
you know, we've read a little bit of him before, but this was, you know, a bigger exposure, I think, than we've had. And yeah. um, this was like, okay, he's got his own villains. He's got his own, you know, threats and everything like that. I thought that, um, um, you know, his his sister, Sister Hammer, was interesting. You know, just straight up like, I'm taking over. You can't take over. There's the sign is for the... I'm taking over. Well, you shouldn't. Dead. Anyone else? Well, but the staff is dead. I'm taking over. Oh, yes, of course you're taking over. You know. Yeah, it was interesting that, like, you know, when they first meet, the first thing they do is hug. And it's like, oh, they miss each other. You know, there was, a, like, they were siblings, and they actually, like, had a bond. And then it's like, oh, she's just poisoning him. Oh, look at that. You know. Yeah. It's a bit tropey. I'll give you that. No, I mean, it's okay. I, I mean, sometimes, you know, they work. I don't know. I feel I, I feel like this wasn't a bad book, so you guys should should just sing its praises without me being like, meh. I'm just, I'm just concerned because this, this is really close to my Three Little Pigs fan fiction with the house <laughs> of the deadly sticks, the house of the deadly bricks, <laughs> and, and the, the hidden dragon. The deadly straw. <laughs> <laughs> So now I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I really want to see that. I really want to see that. That wasn't funny. I'm sorry. I, I like okay. So okay, so I really like this book. I really like the art. Uh, I'm a fan of Philip Tan. I don't see a lot of their work. Uh, I don't follow them as closely as I do some of the other artists. But uh, I'm always really happy to see see the art. It has like that kind of cr- scratchy, kind of incomplete art style uh, that I really like. Like for some reason, so I was really I was really excited to see it. But then, not that the rest of the art isn't good, but I was just a little bummed out when it changed art styles, and I was like, oh, I like that. <laughs> uh, but not to say that the rest of the art is is really is is bad because it's really good. A lot of it is just really, really excellent. Um, a lot of really great, I think, like poses for Shang Chi. Uh, I don't have much else to say other than I, I really like the art. I can't sing enough praises for uh, Jing Yang. Uh, also, one of my favorite writers. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed the Superman Smashes the Clan. I really enjoy uh, his uh, his stuff for the Avatar comics, which I've picked up all of those. So, I, I don't know, I just have a lot of praise for the team in this book, but like... Mm-hmm. The colors are per- are particularly good. Yeah. Um, and the more I look at the art, at first I was like, ah, this, like, everything felt a bit blurry. It didn't feel, like, sketchy on purpose as well as it felt unfinished to me. But I think it's still effective, and there's some really cool um, uh, panels in here, just like... You know, great poses, and you know, I I was trying to like I'm trying to find like a specific example, and they're all cool. So, yeah. I I think my only <laughs> my only like real problem or complaint is that uh, ah gosh how do how do I put this uh there's like a thing that happens that I think is trying to hint at some character turn or something. It's in like the fourth issue at the very end. And it's they it's like they do a close up a close up on Takeshi's eye, and then like the next panel is like the same eye but like tilted, and I felt like that was gonna hint at something, 
but then like nothing happened. So I don't know what's going on there. That's like one of the few. Oh, yeah, oh I yeah. Know what you're talking about. yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just like, is he gonna? Is this a character turn? Like I was like really like, ooh, what's gonna happen next issue? And then like nothing happened. So I was just like, did I did I miss something? Did something happen? It it feels like Gene Yang is setting up for the long game. That he's he's set planting the seeds for future tension between Takeshi and Shang-Chi. Um, and I think that's kind of borne out by the fact that issue five ends with the vision of Zheng Zhu coming in and saying, you know, you're, everything's proceeding according to plan and you're going to be just like me someday. Um, and I think that's the thing that Takeshi is concerned about. Or he really wanted that cliff bar. Or he really wanted that cliff bar. <sighs> that is possible too. Such a dumb joke, I'm sorry. So I will say... Like, talking about this book, and yeah, it is very similar, I feel like, to the uh, Iron Fist story, but I think there's something to be said for, like, hashtag own voices, right? Mm. This is a superhero comic about a Chinese-American superhero written by a Chinese-American. I I, I will say that there is something... Because I I think that's one of the things that... uh, Jing Yang does really well, not just writing like a, like an Asian character, but like really kind of getting that 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 foreigner experience uh, really accurately and really kind of ex- what I think is explaining it well for uh, quote unquote white people. I don't uh-huh. know because I'm not a white person, uh, <laughs> but but at the beginning when when Shang Chi is talking to his ex girlfriend, ex love interest. Uh, they're talking about how how her like Chinese is really bad, and she kind of calls him out for like talking like a fortune cookie. Uh, that's their words, not mine. Uh, yeah, because uh, because he's using like a certain certain set of words, right? And, and and he mentions that he does that because it helps him get people to see him and not through him. Uh, you know, just not get ignored essentially. Uh, so. Which I thought was interesting because that's something that people, a lot of people who come from like another culture do, and and one of it, and, and one of it is because we learn the language differently. We learn it a lot more formally than than growing up in it. So we tend to use words that like uh, regular uh, native speakers don't use as often, or or in or don't use like informally, I guess. So that was that was a nice little kind of nod to that experience because that's something that even I I kind of deal with or not not nearly as much anymore but it's something I definitely dealt with like in high school and junior high as I learned the language so that's really kind of an interesting thing to throw in there. Yeah, I'm not sure that this is technically code switching, um, but it kind of strikes a similar tone to code switching, which is where. Uh, actually, there was a great video. There's a, a YouTube channel that I follow called Storied. It's put out by PBS. Lindsay Ellis occasionally will do videos for them. Um, but they have a new series that they've recently launched called Other Words, which is all about language. And they had a video come out last week on African-American English. Uh, colloquially, has been called Ebonics in the past. I don't know if that term is still appropriate. But um, it talks about a lot of the grammar, the syntax, how it's actually 
linguistically very solid, and it's kind of a mistake for people to dismiss it as sort of a lesser language. But then they talk about how a lot of people who speak African-American English are also very fluent in sort of more uh, mainstream, as a, for lack of a better word, English. And the ability to switch back and forth between the two modes of speaking is code switching. I, I don't know that this is quite the same thing because it sounds like Shang-Chi is using the quote-unquote fortune cookie language when he's speaking to white people. Whereas with code switching, I think he would be expected to speak the more, uh, what they teach you in English class structure. Um, regardless, though, it, it, I think, although your point is, is right on, that Gene Yang is really good at bringing the immigrant experience and the experience of being not part of the majority into his characters when it's relevant. And so I think that aspect of Shang-Chi really reads well, in especially in that first issue, because that's where it comes up. The rest of the issue, he's really very much involved in this world of supernatural superhero martial artists and Chinese yeah. hopping vampires. Which which I guess I guess part of the context, if you know, people haven't read it, uh, is is I think the first issue, especially the first half of the first issue, really does a lot to set up the fact that Shang-Chi is an outsider in the regular world, outside of, like, mystical weapon plants and houses that are deadly. Uh, <laughs> so, like, that's that's kind of, like, a really interesting note to, like, kind of his adaptation as he kind of settles in, living with, like, this little old lady's uh, apartment and apparently very hot uh, daughter, niece. <laughs> <laughs> I want there to be more of this. I don't know if there is, but like, there's a follow-up series. I don't think it's written by him, but there is a. It does continue on to a, to another series. Okay, that's good because like I want to see more of all of these characters. I want to see more of the the potential love interest, the lawyer who specializes in superhero law. Um, I love that. That's yeah. great little detail. I want to yeah. see more of Sister Dagger. I loved Sister Dagger. Steven, her name is Esme. She was so grumpy the whole time. Just, like, for the sake of being grumpy. I like tiny grumpy murder daughters. <laughs> don't don't call her by her cult name. Her name is Esme. <laughs> she went by Sister Dagger for most of the book. She wouldn't she wouldn't give her name up. I, I, I That's could... why it's more special. Yes, yeah, Steven, come on. I couldn't remember that the name was Esme. I should have remembered because Esme is one of the, the, the cuckoos. I also yeah. said it earlier in the episode, Stephen. You make it sound like I actually listen to you when you're talking during this. Oh, I would hope so. Crap. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Although that does give you some freedom to say whatever you want. Don't hold back. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> no, you know what? I, I think I'm good. <laughs> <sighs> what else do we have to say about Shang-Chi? Like, yeah, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, I think is what the, the trade is called. Is yeah. Anything else to, to say about it? I prefer this brothers and sisters to the Rob Lowe, Sally Field show, which I never oh watched. Oh, <laughs> There was not enough kung fu fighting in that show. Wait a minute. Step back. There was not enough kung fu. Hmm. 
I feel like kung fu fighting is problematic in that a 1992 movie made it like, in Wind's World he says that and it's like a social gaffe. It's like, oh, I didn't, yeah. And if it was borderline then, hmm. Doesn't Shang-Chi know kung fu, though? That is the original title, right? Like Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, right? Right. Like, I don't think that's inappropriate to point out that he knows okay. kung fu. And that Rob Lowe ostensibly does not. Yeah, no, he does not. I don't think not. it's going to be controversial unless he actually does know Kung Fu. I'm pretty sure Rob Lowe doesn't know Kung He's Fu. He's pretty good. I mean, you know, he probably does a lot of stuff that doesn't even show up on film. Anyway, we could be confident that Sally Field does not. She just She's just a class act, but you don't have to have Kung Fu to be classy. So, Unless she turns out to be a jerk in real life. Then we get a, we're going to get canceled. I feel like I'm digging a <laughs> hole. All right, well, let's let's redirect. How about we go to the ranking? This is tricky because these are both good. I have but been not muted like... for the last five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I keep trying to tell people I watched Kung Fu Panda yesterday, and nobody will listen to me. <laughs> John keeps talking over me. I just want you people to know that. No, I, I kept. Kung there was Panda. just this horrible silent void. I was like, I, I gotta. I gotta fill, and you're in the meanwhile like, ah. I'm just yelling at the mic. I was like, there is no secret ingredient. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All that, all that to say, because because I was trying to mention that when you were talking about the song Kung Fu Fighting, are we still cool with Kung Fu Panda? Like, are we just gonna pretend that a movie primarily about China and and has like a a a cast that is like eighty percent white? I don't think it's indicative of the culture or trying to pretend to be, like, accurate because the cast, of, like, the characters are all geese and pigs and, and the like, the, you know, bunnies and, you know, like, yeah, Dustin Hoffman is the kung fu master and, like, Jack Black is the student, you know, with all the other, you know, the celebrity voice cast they grab for it, but it's not like they're... <laughs> They have, like, one part of the culture that they're trying to, like, have fun with. With I don't think it... I don't know. I don't get to say. I'm not from China. I don't I don't get to say. That's not my culture. I just enjoy animation. And there was some cool stuff they did in that movie that you don't always see in a DreamWorks film. So, so we currently have 149 stories on our list. I'm just, we're just moving on. I don't know how to address that. 149 stories on our, on our list. Um... What? Our Ghost Rider stories appear to be fairly low. We have uh, Rise of the Midnight Suns and the Ghost Rider Xmas special at 122 and 123. Um, where The first appearance of Ghost Rider is at 133. Yeah, I think those are all of the uh, Ghost Rider stories that we've read. This goes higher. Yep. By how much? That's the question, right? Like, um, I think it's going to be easiest for me to just, like, find a hard ceiling. Not necessarily to say that I think it should go this high. Um, but the, the first book that I come across where I'm like, I would definitely rather read this than Ghost Racers. I'm actually looking around number 70. Oh, that's higher than I thought. Uh, that's my that's my hard ceiling. I'm not necessarily saying that it goes this high, but I would definitely rather read Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur before this. 
Yeah. I would read this... I would put it as high as 79, replacing Cage, which was okay. Yeah, this is definitely better than Cage. Yeah. Yeah. Demon Bear is, like, important in the history of New Mutants. Messiah War is, you know, a not a great middle act, but still part of, you know, my favorite X-Men story. Um, I just want to point out when, uh, remember when Demon Bear, oops, did a racist? (laughs) (sighs) I did it again. I ate up a cop and now he is native or indigenous. Oops. Man, Demon Bear is so weird. (laughs) That was a good safety. Yeah, I forgot, forgot about that. Good thing we have Britney Spears (laughs) to remind us of us. One of these days, I'm going to try to find some, some like, Native American scholar who talks about the Demon Bear saga and, and see what they actually have to say about it, because I just... Sometimes something that seems problematic, you know, maybe they might say, look, this at least shined a light on the issue, and rather than not telling a story that featured Native Americans, like, I don't know where the line is. Like Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Oh, gosh. Everybody thought that movie was real racist. You know what? The Hispanic community, we love that movie. Do you love bad movies? Hey. Why would you ever want to see... Hey. Why? Listen. I got nothing against we, Chihuahuas, it was, but... It was only Beverly Hills Chihuahua for a long time before we had The Book of Life and Coco. <laughs> we did not have a whole lot to cling on to. You had a lot of westerns, you know, like the Alamo... Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> but, like, that's the point, though, right? Like... I think we get kind of hung up on, you know, this has a racism or did a racism and therefore it is bad. And frequently it's like, well, no, like, look at the context, look at the culture. We learned from it. It did some good, like, there's good and bad. And I think nowadays, like, contemporary media, when things do racism, it's like, okay, at this point you really should know better. But a lot of the historical stuff, it's like, just because it has a racist image or, like, racist language doesn't necessarily mean you throw the whole thing out but it does spark this larger conversation i don't know i just remember reading a whole bunch of of takes on like apparently somebody called speedy gonzalez uh racist and a lot of the mexican-american community chimed in and said excuse me you leave my boy alone yeah not to you know um aldo what how do you feel about speedy gonzalez (laughs) (laughs) I love seeing Gonzalez. I grew up with that. <laughs> I feel less guilty now because I think he's funny, and it's not because he's you know got a bad you know Mexican Spanish accent. It's because he's really fast and he always wins against the bad guy. Pe- like pe- people also. Okay, so we should probably get off this topic uh, pretty soon <laughs> and, and, and like rate these books. But what I was going to say is that. Yeah, okay, so it's understandable to think that, like, stuff like Speedy Gonzalez is racist or, like, Beverly Hills Chihuahua is pretty racist or, or like, because they lean into pretty hard stereotypes. Like, Chihuahuas are actual dogs? Ugh. If you can, if you can punt it, it's not a dog. It's a rat. That's the rule. Anyways. I, I, listen, I don't want to bring up children, but I'm not going to bring up children. <laughs> No, this is only a place to dog. He's a monster. Put the child. Oh, <laughs> but but it's. I think people forget that like a lot of when when Mexicans see stuff like this in Mexico, we see it in a Spanish dub more often than not. Especially back in the earlier days, like that stuff came to us in a Spanish dub. 
So that just came to us as a cartoon. It, we, we, we didn't think of it as like an American cartoon. It was just a cartoon in our language. Huh. Uh, so like that's that's one of those like lenses that people don't really kind of pick up on, uh, and I think that's kind of one of those things, especially with Speedy Gonzalez, is that we don't we didn't really see him as a as a as a caricature. We just saw him as one of our own. Especially when you consider that like Looney Tunes have a caricature for almost every nationality on on in the world or every kind of major yeah. nationality. They make fun of everybody in equal shares. So like we would never felt like singled out. In fact, I think. More than anything, we probably felt included because of something like Speedy Gonzalez. And it also didn't lean into, like, negative stereotypes. Did it lean into stereotypes? Yes. Were they all bad? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. So Ghost Racers, does it go between Demon Bear and Cage? <laughs> or is, is the weird racism of the Demon Bear enough to put uh, Ghost Racers above it? I want to put it above it. Also, I'm okay putting it between Messiah War and Demon Bear. Cause, okay. Especially because if we're talking a lot about like how the Demon Bear had a lot of like these energy images that weren't, I remember them not being as readable as like the the, the stuff in in Ghost Racers. Ghost Racers, we praised it for being so readable. I think it would be almost insulting. Not that the art in Demon Bear is bad. Uh, this oh man, is just I love better. the art in Demon Bear. That's that's the one element of it that I think is is like holds up really well. Well, until you get to the the. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so let's okay, yeah, we're done between Messiah War and the Demon Bear. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, now, how about Shang Chi Brothers and Sisters? I would put my sister at like number twenty-two. Uh, I am okay. definitely not going to be ranking all those sisters. <laughs> This podcast that is that is all kinds uh, of problematic different kind of vibe than what we want here yeah <laughs> i kind of want to put it in the 30s um i don't think it let's see i forget who's in escape to terror that's a john Byrne and stan lee book it just that's says cosmic silver surfer or like one shot where he uh fights mephisto is it? Oh, we get back kind of a bit of his backstory, that one. Bit of his backstory. He goes yeah. back to. Uh, I suggested that comic. Zen no one's embarrassed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I liked that one probably more than this, but it's somewhere around here. I don't think it goes higher than, um, like Karnak. Oh no! I'm thinking that was a that was a really tight story. I think yeah. Uh, tight story by a problematic creator. Fred Van Lente? Is that Warren Ellis? Warren Ellis. Okay. Yeah, there there there's been some revelations about him. Oh no. Yeah, sorry, Netflix Castlevania is you you not gonna go back and watch you now. Um. Anyway, that's. I would say probably the higher 30s. So I'm thinking in between the Wasp, um, the Unstoppable Wasp and Squirrel Power. That That's that's my proposal. Alden, what are you thinking? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I really like this book, but I really don't know where I feel like putting it. I think I agree with you, like probably somewhere in the 30s. As, as I'm going up this list, because the writing is solid... The art is really solid. 
Uh, I think as somebody's first book, this, which is one of the things I, I quote unquote care a lot about. <laughs> in here, I don't know why I said quote unquote. I actually do care a lot about whether or not a book is, <laughs> a book can be some is a good first book for somebody. I think this lands like really squarely. I think the, my only problem is the story itself doesn't really do anything, um, like amazing. Nothing that redefines how true. comics. Uh, so, like, I'm kind of leaning towards, like, the upper 30s, so, like, yeah, kind of around what you were saying, like, maybe around Squirrel Power. As much as I'm not a fan of Ryan North, I kind of think Squirrel Power goes above it. Uh, but I would put this, actually, I would put this, like, below Squirrel Power and above Finely Woven Thread. Well, the Finely Woven Thread was that, uh, Black Widow. Yeah. I know. I actually think this is really comparable. I had to remind myself. Oh, okay. Uh (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Actually, I think these two stories are really comparable. Um, and, geez, put a gun to my head and tell me which one, like, make me tell you which one I think is better. I don't think I could. I actually think they're, they're of a piece. I would put it above um, Gifted, but no higher, because, like, Gifted makes me think about uh, X-Men 3 and Joss Whedon, and neither one of those things bring me joy anymore. Um. <laughs> I, I I don't know for me for me the thing that because uh, okay so like they're both technically like foreign characters like Black Widow is, is Russian and Shang Chi is, is is Chinese, uh but I think the little touches in the first issue of Shang Chi, uh make him a, a bit more, I guess endearing a little bit more relatable to to like. Uh, to kind of, I don't know, to people like me, quote, quote. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's kind of, for me, what edges it out a little bit. Yeah. If I, just to kind of play the other side for a little bit, unfortunately, I feel like those little touches in the first issue don't really contribute much to the overall story because Shang-Chi is immediately lifted out of that environment and placed in an environment where he is more you know, where he fits in more. And I think the, that first issue reads like setting up a bunch of arcs and concepts that would play out in a longer Shang-Chi run, which we may or may not actually be getting. But I mean, like you said, Jing oh, yeah. Yang is maybe not involved. In right, it. right. Yeah. And so that's the sort of thing, like if this were the beginning of like a Grant Morrison mega arc, I would expect the, the super powered lawyer to eventually wind up being very notable um yeah like five issues down the line or ten issues down the line like it would be setting up a lot of these things and it feels like it's setting up for that but we're not going to get that payoff and that potentially brings it down a little bit for me mm-hmm. well isn't this this is a fairly new book is it not ongoing anymore no it was it was kind of like an introductory miniseries i think they were testing oh, the waters okay. with it yeah to, for the like doing a soft open for the movie you know? Probably. Yeah, because uh, I think the the follow-up is ongoing still. Um, it's not on the app at any rate. Uh, Marvel Unlimited doesn't have it yet, I don't think. Yeah, so um, so, th- yeah, so the new one... Oh, I guess the new one just started, actually. It started okay. It started in July. Uh, and Started in July of last year? No, wait a minute. It says publication. Right now. Oh, yeah. it's it's that weird. It's the weird printing thing where like it. Oh, right. It says it started in July, but also the next, the second issue is coming out like this coming week. So, 
<laughs> I don't know. Anyways, the cover to the second issue has uh, Shang-Chi beating up Captain America and taking the shield. So, like, that's cool. What? <laughs> uh, um... Okay, so oh no, and it is and it is Gino, uh, Gino and Yang uh, writing. Ooh, it. okay, that makes me more excited about it. Um, regardless, I'm fine with putting this at either thirty nine or forty. Thirty nine, hooray! Okay, <laughs> thirty nine, it is really respectable showing. Um, for our next episode, we are gonna do it's it's our favorite thing to do. Uh, maybe not our favorite thing, but we're going to read some one-shot comics. We've each contributed a story that we're going to read. Very, very excited to get through this batch. Um, the first comic we've got on the list is the Star Wars Annual Number 4. Uh, John found this book. Um, it's it's another... Oh, right under the bus. Yeah. Right under the bus. Just chucking me right under the bus there with that. Hey, it I would have owned up to it in my own time. Good. Yeah, but this is Vader. Vader goes pod racing for old times' sake. Is basically the gist that I read, and I was like, "I bet this will make good podcast fodder." That's what went through my head. Let's give it a shot. It might be good. Um, the the second issue that we're going to be reading is Marvel Two and One from nineteen seventy four. This is a team up between the Thing and the Spider Man villain Sandman. Uh, expect a lot of geology puns. Yeah, I think we got most of them out of our system. Oh, no, they're coming <laughs> back. We've, we've eroded. We've eroded through, you know, most of our list. They've been sanded down to perfection. <laughs> oh gosh, the uh, last story that we're going to read is uh, one shot from the X Men Legacy series. X Men Legacy number three hundred. Uh, Aldo's been wanting to read this one for a while. I'm glad we're finally getting to it. That's part of why I suggested we do one-shots. And then I, being the hypocrite I am, was like, hey, maybe we shouldn't read that many X-Men or Spider-Man books. And what's the first thing I do is recommend an X-Men book. <laughs> to be fair, you can't throw a rock in the app without hitting six or seven X-Men books in a Spider-Man, you know, spin-off. So it's not your fault. Also, don't throw rocks at your iPad. Uh, too late for that, buddy. Oh no! Oh, that sounds like an expensive screen repair. Either that or he I just have, hates Apple. I have a, I have a matte screen. I'll be fine. <laughs> Matthew screen. Here's the thing. We all hate Apple. We all have Apple products. But it just works. Yeah, it's one of those. Dang you for being so convenient and and uh, you know omnipresent. <laughs> I'm actually legitimately thinking about uh, buying a an iPhone for my next upgrade. I, I, I went from a flip phone to an iPhone, so it was basically the same as, you know, taking a caveman and <laughs> into an airplane. I was going to yeah, say. And then, and then I could send, send Steven, uh, what are they called, the Memojis? Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. You went from a right, flip phone to an iPhone? <laughs> Did you did you did you take a DeLorean to get there? Like how did <laughs> I'm sorry that
We can just cut it. We can just cut it. I feel like I, I'm just... <laughs> I don't like anything I've said tonight. We can just pretend I'm not even here. I don't... I, not that my opinion necessarily matters. I don't think you've crossed any lines. I don't, I don't mean to. If it is, it's accidental. Like, you miss your exit, and it's like, Oh no, I've stumbled into racism. Oh, uh. <laughs> uh, I accidentally did a racism. Uh-oh. Oh no. Oops, I did it again. I called you a slur. I did it. Not- <laughs> oh, baby, baby. <laughs>